Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Praise God. I want to talk to us this morning about freedom's boundaries. That'll be our title, Freedom's Boundaries, this morning. And I want to begin by saying that freedom is the capacity to exercise choice as well as engage in certain actions without interference. Aren't you glad that you live in a free country and a free nation and free land where you can go about your business and do what you want to do? But also freedom does not mean complete release from all restraint. In other words, we understand freedom must be controlled and it must have boundaries. If not, it turns into chaos and anarchy, does it not? You go back, for example, to the very beginning with Adam and Eve. They were placed in a garden and the scripture says they could eat any fruit off any tree freely That's freedom. But then there was a boundary. You don't touch that tree lest you die. So they had freedom, but they had a boundary. In other words, it was controlled freedom. If they made a wrong choice, then of course they had to pay the price. And we know that they did. So along with freedom, we could say comes what? Responsibility. Now we live in a free nation. Aren't you glad? A lot of freedoms that we have of the press, of speech, of religion, of assembly, of petition, and so on and so forth. Wonderful freedoms that our founding fathers knew had to be controlled. Because if they weren't controlled by laws, then there would be chaos and disorder among the people in the land. So they came up with laws and rules and guidelines for us to follow or abide by. Now think about this. If they came up with these laws, where did they get them? Who's the lawmaker? Where do laws come from? Well, since you asked the question, Romans chapter 13, beginning of verse 1 from the good news or, or good God's word translation. Every person should obey the government in power. No government would exist if it hadn't been established by whom? The governments which exist have been put in place by whom? God. Therefore, whoever resists the government opposes what God has established. Those who resist will bring punishment on themselves. People who do what is right don't have to be afraid of the government. But people who do what is wrong should be afraid of it. Would you like to live without being afraid of the government? Do what is right and it will praise you. The government is God's servant working for your good. So what is the government? God's servant. Who ordained it? Who put it in power? God did it, right? Well, doesn't it stand to reason that if God is going to hold all nations accountable and responsible, which he will because he's going to govern, then he's going to judge the nations of the world. If he put them in a place and position of authority, would he not give them guidelines by which to govern the people? Absolutely he would. So what are those guidelines? What are those rules? What are those laws? Where do they come from? They come from the Bible and the Ten Commandments. And we're going to show you that this morning. Our founding fathers knew 
that if they were going to succeed, they would have to abide by the laws of God. And remember, if you're abiding by the laws of God, you're honoring God. And if your government is ordained of God and abiding by the laws of God, then praise God, they're honoring God. Now, before I look at these ones that I have listed for you there, I want to read to you from another little article about some other quotes and some other statements that are made about the Ten Commandments. This is called a new debate over old laws. The Ten Commandments delivered by God the man well over 3,000 years ago have become the focus of controversy across America. It seems strange that the legal code, which has served as the basis of civil law in the Western world for over 2,000 years, should now be the center of legal battle. Previous generations never questioned the use of or display of or reliance on the Ten Commandments. Rather, they heartily endorsed their use. For example, the law given from Sinai was a civil and municipal as well as a moral and religious code. Laws essential to the existence of men in society and most of which have been enacted by every nation which ever professed any code of laws. John Quincy Adams. If thou shalt not covet and thou shalt not steal... Were not the commandments of heaven, they must be made invaluable precepts in every society before it can be civilized or made free. John Adams, quote. So I understand that today we deal with this issue called separation of church and state. But my brother and my sister, if God ordained government and God gave laws by which they are to govern, how can there be a separation of church and state? Number one, it's nowhere located in the Constitution whatsoever. It was a letter by Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist Church to let them know that they were going to do things right and the state should stay out of the church. But we won't get any further into that. But just let me just state that that's a fact. It's nowhere in the Constitution whatsoever. Besides, it would be illogical to think that God would ordain government and not give them laws by which to govern. And tell the church to stay out of the state. When it's he's the church, he is told to pray for the state. Okay, so let's read on to these other quotes. These other quotes come from, uh, number, first of all, James Madison, fourth president, known as the father of our constitution, said, We have staked the whole of our political institutions upon the capacity of mankind for self-government, upon each and all of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. End quote. Patrick Henry Who's the one that said, give me liberty? Or give me what? How many of you don't know he said that? You quiz some young people today, they have no idea who Patrick Henry is, never heard that statement before. But you know what? That's not all that he said. Look what else he said. It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Patrick Henry, end quote. Then John Jay, first Supreme Court justice ever, first one ever appointed. And I quote, Providence has given our people the choice of their rulers. It's the duty as well as privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. Notice their duty as well. End quote. This one is almost mind-boggling as I read this to you. Because this comes from Newsweek magazine. This is not Charisma magazine. This is not your local Christian reporting. Listen to what Newsweek magazine on December 27, 1982 in an article entitled How the Bible Made America 
made this revealing statement. Historians are discovering that the Bible, perhaps even more than the Constitution, is our founding document. Undoubtedly, the Bible is the solid rock upon which our republic rests. For those who doubt this and believe that statements in the Declaration of Independence, such as the laws of nature and of nature's God, were products of the Enlightenment, deism, or secularism, you may want to read quotes from founders such as Alexander Hamilton, Noah Webster, John Jay, William Finley, Rufus King, and, and James Wilson. All attested to the fact that the laws of nature and of nature's God refer to laws given by God himself. John Quincy Adams stated that the phrase assumes the existence of a God, the moral ruler of the universe, and a rule of right and wrong. As a matter of fact, if a proposed article for the Constitution was not supported by or rooted in the Bible, it was not considered. In their early writings, many of the founding fathers quoted or referenced the Bible nearly four times more than any other, any other source. No enlightenment, deism, or secularism here, only God and his word. And that comes from Newsweek magazine. So, it's understandable then that if God has ordained government, God is the one who established government, and we are to respond to government properly. It's for the protection of the good, of good. It is for the prosecution of evil, right? And if you obey government, you're obeying God. So obviously, God's hand is upon the government. And as we read from these other statements, it's important that we have people in office and we pray for them. Look here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, the mandate given to all of us as Christians. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and for all that are in authority. I want you to know something I just submitted to you here this morning. I have prayed probably most of my life. Most of all my Christian life when I found this truth out for every politician in office. Every day. No matter what their belief system is. Doesn't matter when he wrote that. They could have been wicked people. I prayed for them all. Pray that God's hand would be upon them to guide them, to direct them, to open up their hearts and their minds. And their, for they, to see the need for us to honor God in our government and in our nation. For, for what reason? For kings and for all that are authority, that we may lead a quiet, peaceable life in our godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the, will of, in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Notice these three powerful things. Powerful motivations. You know, James says you have not because you ask not, but you ask and receive not because you ask amiss. It is up to us to ask according to the will of God in everything that we pray about. And when it comes to our government, notice these three motivations that we are told to motivate us to pray for our government. Number one, to preserve public peace and provide good leadership. We're to be praying that every day, all of us. And if it doesn't affect, you, you, you might be thinking, well, what has my little prayer got to do with the whole government, with the way it's going? You know what? It affects you. It opens up an avenue to which God can bless you. When you get on your knees before God and you say, Father, I lift up our government, I lift up our politicians and our political leaders, and I hold them up before you, and I pray on their behalf that you would touch their hearts, touch their minds, and guide them in the affairs of this life. You're praying for people in leadership that will honor God. And you know what? I pray for the removal of those that dishonor God so that they can be replaced with those that will honor God and promote the will of God. Number two, to please God by promoting righteousness and godliness. God wants us to live a righteous, holy life in this life that we live right now. And you know, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. 
Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And so when you and I stand in the gap, make up the hedge for our nation, pray for these particular leaders, the hand of God can move and sweep across this nation with great power and might to accomplish the purposes of God's will in the earth. Number three, to promote the salvation of all men. And this is the most important thing. When there's peace upon this earth, when there's peace in our nation, we can promote the gospel of Jesus Christ for the salvation of all men. And that's what God wants us to do. So when a nation then is not following the plan of God, when a government is not planning the, following the plan of God, what is the duty and responsibility of all believers to pray for those people? And look at this in Second Chronicles 7, 4, 7, 14. And remember, chapter, uh, chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, and then 15, all talk about this. When your nation is under the judgment of God because you're not following the ways of God, not fulfilling the purpose and the will of God in government, and they're going to be judged for that one day, for God will judge all the nations of the world. Then if my people, are we the people of God, would do what, number one? Humble themselves. Humble themselves. Oh, Lord. In other words, deal with pride, the pride issue. And pray. Prayerlessness stops the will of God from being done. Seek my face. That's priority. So it's Pride, prayerlessness, priority. And then he goes on to say, and turn from their wicked ways. That's presumption. That's being presumptuous, thinking that God can move where there's sin in the land or when there's sin in the hearts of people. If we would do those four things, what would he do? Hear from heaven. Three things. Forgive the sin and bring healing to the land. Do you want healing brought to your land? Listen to me carefully. We're not just talking about the United States of America and our government and our, our lifestyle here on this earth. When you and I make a decision to humble ourselves and pray and seek the face of God and turn from wicked ways, he will hear from heaven, forgive sin, and heal our land. You know what your land is? Your life. Your land is your marriage. Your land is your family, your children. Your land is all that pertains to you, praise God. And when you humble yourself to do it God's way and honor him by saying, I'm going to lift up my government. I'm going to pray for these particular leaders that are in office. I'm going to pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then God says, I can, I can deal with that. I can handle that. I can work with that. And he will pour out his blessings upon those people. So do you want the blessing upon your life as an individual? You want your blessing upon the his blessing upon your marriage and your family your children all things that are dear to you then you're going to commit yourself to doing that all the time and we all should we've been mandated to do it all right now as we continue freedom in christ are you glad to be free in jesus even though we're free in christ freedom remember requires what boundaries look at galatians chapter 5 and verse 1 because we have it summarized right here Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. As wonderful as our national freedoms are, you know there's a greater freedom. There's a greater freedom than our national freedoms. And that greater freedom is found in Jesus Christ. Because you see, these freedoms are temporal on this earth. But there is a freedom that is eternal. Something that goes beyond this realm in which we live. And so thank God that you and I can be free. Not just temporally. But eternally. Because of what Jesus has done for us. So no matter what happens in this life. I'll tell you. It's going to be over soon. And it's brief. James said it's but a vapor. 
it appears for a little while, it vanishes away. You know what he means by that? While we're here on this planet, it's like that little vapor of smoke that comes up or steam that comes up from your boiling pot of water. You see it, don't you? But how long do you see it? And then where does it go? It's invisible, isn't it? So James is talking about the visible and the invisible. You see it in a flash, it's gone, but where does it go? It doesn't mean it doesn't exist anymore. You just can't see it with your natural eye. So the brevity of life he's talking about. Life is short on this planet. It appears and then it's gone just like that. But guess what? Eternity is forever. It's a long, 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 long time. So what are we striving for in the natural world that we live in? Fame, fortune, success, and all these things that this world has to offer? I guarantee you it's only but a fleeting moment. Guess what? All of that ever succeeded in the natural secular world, they're all in the grave right now. Even Pharaoh himself, with all the money that he had, all the resources that he had, all the, all the fame and all, the, all that he had, is where? Suffering in the in, in, in eternal lake of fire without eternity. Moses gave up the pleasures of sin for a season. And where is he at? He appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Showing us, praise God, that it pays to serve the living God. Does it not pay to serve the living God? Well, Christ has set us free. Look what freedom in Christ looks like. Oh, thank God. Freedom in Christ, number one. Freedom from sin. Freedom from sin. Remember what we said freedom is? What is freedom? We can make a choice. We can exercise free will. We have a decision to make. But because of Jesus Christ, guess what? You can make a decision that you will no longer be bound by sin and the course that sin takes a person on. Because of Jesus Christ, we can exercise our right and authority to make a decision. I will not be sin bound any longer. Look at the book of Romans in chapter 6, verses 8. That's not 618. That's a mistake. Okay. 6 verses 17 and 18. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you are wholeheartedly, you wholeheartedly obey this teaching which I have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you've become slaves to righteous living. Notice the freedom part is you and I are free from sin. Are you glad? But you're also, you're a slave, a slave to righteous living. There's the boundary. Notice we've been set free, but notice we have a boundary. Notice we have freedom and with all of its rights, but we have a boundary. We are free to serve the living God. You could say it just this way. You can say just as the Israelites were free from the Egyptians, but they were free to do what? Let my people go that they might serve me. And thank God you and I have been set free from the powers of darkness and the powers of sin. Why? So that we might serve the risen Savior, the living God. So, thank God we've been liberated or set free from the power of sin. And that is an eternal something. Secondly, we are free from the fear of death. Look in the book of Hebrews in chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. We are free, and this is from the New Living Translation of the Bible, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. That fear of dying can haunt a person and be very destructive. 
But praise God, there is no longer fear in death because there's no longer sting of death because Jesus overcame death, hell, and the grave. And when you make him the Savior and the Lord of your life, you are set free from the fear of death. Satan has no power over you. Death has no control over you, and neither does sin. Number three, uh, the law's condemnation. Freedom in Christ means we've been set free from the law's condemnation. In the book of Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, we read, There is therefore now no condemnation. I love those two words. No condemnation. None whatsoever to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free, hallelujah, from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death has its origin in the Garden of Eden. And when they sinned against Almighty God, their spirits were separated from God, their souls were darkened, and their bodies became flesh-ruled and mortal, or subject to death. And it was said they would go back to the dust of the earth from which they were made. And since that time, death reigned from Adam to Moses, and it ruled over all of people's lives. And they couldn't escape it. No one could escape it, because if you were born from the Adamic bloodline, then you have sin nature in you and me as well, before we came to Christ. And there was no way to eradicate it from humankind. It was an impossibility. Man could not shed his blood for himself. An animal's blood was not sufficient enough to take away sin. So God who loved the world looked over to his son and says, the only way we're going to redeem mankind is if somebody goes down there and takes upon himself the very curse, the very suffering that is needful for all mankind. And Jesus said, I will go, Father. Prepare for me a body and I will go. He left heaven. He came to the earth. He became a a man and he housed the only blood praise God that could liberate somebody from the powers of sin and death and thank God because he took that blood to the high court of heaven and offered it to obtain eternal redemption for us anyone who ever says I choose Jesus for my life is set free from death from sin and the penalty thereof you are liberated praise God deliver there's no more condemnation there's a higher law Oh, there's a lower law operating down here, but there's a higher law in your heart. And the higher law says, greater is he that's in you than he that is in this world. The higher law says, there's no condemnation to you because you're in Christ Jesus, praise God. So get your eyes off the flesh. Get your eyes on who you are in the spirit. You're God's masterpiece within, praise God. You've got the life of God, the nature of God, the power of God, the ability of God, the character of God resides inside each and every one of us. Get up in the morning with a spring in your step and you start looking in that mirror and say I am who God said I am I have who God said I have I can do what God said I can do and I can do all things through Christ who is my strength it's not my ability it's his ability on the inside of me praise God I'm just giving place to it I'm releasing it praise God hallelujah thanks you Jesus hallelujah praise God yes give him a praise offering glory to God hallelujah thank you Lord blessed be your holy name and then also number four, we've been set free in Christ from the law's curse. Oh, thank God, thank God. Look at the book of Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Christ paid the price to free us from the curse that the laws in Moses' teaching bring by becoming cursed instead of us. Scripture says everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. What is that saying? There is only one way to freedom. Only one way to be redeemed and delivered from the curse that came with the law. Only one way. Someone had to become the curse. You know what? We live in a free land. But the land that we live in was not 
free. The freedom that we have did not come without a price. There are many that laid down their lives for us to have the freedom that we enjoy and have. So somebody paid the price. Well, I want you to know our spiritual freedom did not come without a price. I want us all to know that someone had to become the curse and bear the brunt of the curse. The brunt of the high treason that Adam committed from the beginning. No wonder he's called the second or the last Adam. The first Adam failed God. The second Adam did not fail God. The second Adam, praise God, became a man, walked on this earth, and he bore that curse for you. He bore that curse for me. And all the disobedience of the world fell on him. And he took it upon himself. He suffered all the penalty of it, the wrath of God for it. And God raised him from the dead and set us free from the law's curse so you and i are free from poverty sickness and spiritual death because of the blood of jesus christ who the sun sets free is free indeed hallelujah we are free in him and we live in him and move in him and have our being in him and then also every yoke of bondage we are free in christ from every yoke of bondage and when we talk about yokes of bondage it's the anointing that destroys the yoke right it's the yoke of bondage that we all face. All yokes of bondage that are here in this, this life in which we live. We've got religious tradition. We've got humanism, secularism. We've got all kinds of, of addictions and that sort of thing that we can be in bondage to. But because of Jesus, listen, you're not going to be free. You're not trying to be free. But because of Jesus, we may not know it, but we already are free. And the problem is we struggle to get something we already have. And as a result, we're operating in doubt and unbelief. But I want you to look at the book of Luke, if you wouldn't mind with me, in chapter 13. Here we see we can be free from every yoke of bondage, whether it's secular humanism, whether it's religious tradition or religious oppression or other things. Uh, let's, let's look at these verses. Jesus was teaching in the synagogue on the day of rest, a holy day. This is from God's word translation. A woman who was possessed by a spirit was there, a spirit of infirmity. The spirit had disabled her for 18 years. She was hunched over and couldn't stand upright or straight. When Jesus saw her, he called to her, to him and said, Woman, you are free. That's going to resonate in somebody's heart this morning. I know that. Woman, you are free from your disability. You are free from your disability. He placed his hands on her and she immediately stood up straight and praised God. The synagogue leader was irritated with Jesus for healing on the day of worship. The leader told the crowd, there are six days when work can be done. So come on one of those days to be healed. Don't come on the day of rest, a holy day. And then the Lord Jesus says, I'm so sorry that I made that mistake. I was in error. I didn't know it was a Sabbath day. You know, I didn't look at my calendar or my iPhone when I got up this morning. And so I was unaware of the fact that it's really the Sabbath day. No, he said, you hypocrites. He said it in love, I'm sure. <laughs> you hypocrites. Don't each of you free your ox or donkey on the day of rest, a holy day? Don't you then take it out of its stall to give it some water to drink? So in other words, this is a necessity. Now, here is a descendant of Abraham. Satan has kept her in this condition for 18 years. Isn't it a right to free? Isn't it right to free her on the day of rest, a holy day? Oh, thank God. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't think like religious leaders? 
Aren't you glad that Jesus, the writer of the law, knows the law and interprets the law and acted in accordance with the law? Because why? God knows we have needs. He knows healing is a necessity. He knows healing is a rescue. And so Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Think about it. The Son of Man, He is our Sabbath. And thank God, He exercised His rights, His authority, and set that woman free. But what did He do? He told her, you are free. Woman, you are free. I don't know what you're struggling with right now out there today, but I want to, I've got some news for you. You are already free. Look at this next one. You talk about addictions, things that hold us in captivity and bondage. Look at the next one. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12. This is from the Good News Translation. Someone will say, I'm allowed to do anything. Oh, that's freedom, isn't it? I'm allowed to do anything. But notice this. But not everything is good for you. See, freedom has boundaries, doesn't it? Restrictions, restraints, law. We don't cross over the line. I could say that I am allowed to do anything. But I am not going to let anything make me its slave. There was once in my life I was a slave to pizza. But I woke up yesterday and I said, no, I don't want any. I denied my right to have a slice. I will no longer be a slave to you, but tomorrow I'll have one on my own accord. Someone says, I'm a Christian, I can do that. Oh, I know that. I'm a Christian, I can do this. I know that. But is, it may be lawful, but is it beneficial? Is it profitable for you to do that? Because you see, you start here, and before you know it, you're addicted to something that you shouldn't be addicted to. It's got control over you, and it shouldn't have control over you. Sin shall not have dominion over any single one of us, praise God. Every one of us is free, and we're free to live our life for Christ. But you know what? Freedom also means that I am in bondage to the Savior. To his will, to his word. Can you see that? We don't cross over to get entangled with a yoke of bondage any longer. So Paul says, yes, I, if you could put it in context. You can just say, yeah, I can eat meat. But you know what? I'm not going to do it because my brother might stumble by my eating of the meat. I can drink this, but my brother might stumble if I do that. So I'm not going to cross that line. I'm going to be an example to other people. Praise God. They can look at my life and see my life. And they can basically follow me like I follow Christ is what Paul said. And then he went on to say, you know what? You can make a decision and use your body. In context, he's talking about fornication. You can use your body for sinful pleasures if you want to. Oh, yeah, you're free. You could do that. You could be married and commit adultery if you want to. You know, guess what else? You can even rob a bank if you want to because you see you're free in this society. And guess what? If you don't like someone, go ahead and take their life and kill them because you see you're free. Does freedom really mean we're free to do anything we want to do? No, there's laws, there's guidelines that we have to follow. Why? Because we're, we're not to govern ourselves. We have one who governs us. He's the creator of heaven, earth, the sea, and all that in them is. You want to mess with somebody like this? Do you know on the day when Jesus comes in clouds of glory, the graves are going to open, the dead in Christ are going to rise, right? And guess what? It doesn't matter where your body is. If it's in a grave, if it's in an urn, if your ashes have been spread around the world in a venue, a volleyball, beach volleyball venue, or if you drowned in the sea and your flesh, your body is at the bottom of the sea in a decayed state, 
maybe back to ashes or whatever it might be. It doesn't matter where the human body is going to be when he comes in the clouds of glory. He's going to take all the particles, all the ashes. He's going to bring them all back together out of the sea. They're going to give up their dead. We are told the graves are going to open. They're all going to come back. And the spirit and soul is going to enter back into that same physical body. It's going to come alive once again. Hallelujah. You're going to mess with him? When he says the body is not meant for fornication but for the Lord. He said meat's for the belly and the belly's for meat. He is saying food is for you to eat and your digestive system is to digest the food to give you so you can have strength and the energy that you need to function. Well he says well the body's for the Lord and not for fornication because if you join yourself to a harlot you become one with that person. So who has a right to govern mankind? Does man? Does government? Do laws that man makes, these man-made laws override the laws of God? Somebody help me here. No, no, no. So we're facing in our society today people that don't like the laws of God. They don't want to be governed by the laws of God. But it's up to us as believers to do what? Get on our faces before God and believe that people are going to come out of the darkness and see the light and follow the ways and the laws of God. Okay, look also next. Freedom in Christ means in bondage to Christ. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 11. Freedom in Christ means I'm bound to Christ. Do you remember back in um, what? Deuteronomy 28, 47, 48. Remember back in those two verses where he talks about that you and I can either obey the laws of God or we cannot. But if we don't serve the Lord with joyfulness and gladness of heart for the abundance of all things, then we will serve our enemy and he'll put a yoke of iron around our neck until he destroys us. Isn't that what he said? Yeah. So we could choose to follow the ways of God or we can choose to let the enemy, you know, put a yoke of iron around our neck. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. You want to know what the difference is between Jesus and the devil? The devil forces his yoke on you. And Jesus says, here it is. Just take it. It's up to you. I give you a choice. See, the devil says, go ahead, have another dose of that so I can just choke your life out with it. Have another dose of this so I can put this yoke of bondage around your neck and choke your life out with it. Go ahead, act like that and do that and keep on doing it so I can put this yoke of iron about your neck and just choke the life out of you with it. Okay, but Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. And look at the next few words and learn of me. For I'm meek and lowly in heart and you're going to find rest to your souls because you see my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm not going to oppress you. All I have for you is something good. And so when I make laws and establish governments and I set these things in motion, it is for your own good. It's for your own benefit. So take my yoke upon you and don't be yoked up with the powers of darkness. And they'll try to force themselves on you. And that's no yoke. I'm sorry. Wow. That was a nasty one. Look at the book of Galatians. <laughs> That's a little bit of my father in me. He's, he's, the, he's the corny one. Sometimes, you know, you just catch some of that that falls off the tree. So, forgive me. 
Look at what it says. For you have been called to live in freedom. Oh, somebody. A place of freedom. A place of freedom. Aren't you glad to live in a place of freedom? My brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Boundary. Do you see that? Yeah, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. And Jesus, like the guy told me at the, at the, at the Bible bookstore one day, he says, I'm a so-and-so. It came from a not, not denominational background. And I've learned the fullness of grace. And I says, what is that? Tell me. I want to hear it. Jesus did it all. My sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. You know what I found out? Because he did that for me. It's all about grace. It doesn't matter what I do, how I live, or anything like that. He says, it doesn't matter if I commit adultery. It doesn't matter if I do this, get drunk, and whatever, and carouse. And I said, that's what you got from that he said yeah i've got the full understanding the full revelation of it he says in some days people's eyes are going to be open they're going to see the same thing that it's true because it's already done past present and future so if they're all forgiven doesn't matter what i do or how i live because it's already gone well wait a minute you've been called to live a life of freedom but my brothers and sisters but don't use your freedom to satisfy your what instead use your freedom to do what Serve one another. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then First Peter. Look at First Peter 2 and verse 16 from the New Living Translation of the Bible. For you are free. Are you free? I'll tell you what. You can talk about change of emotions in a moment. You're free. You can shout it from the mountaintops. I'm free. You're, you're free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. You go from the high of I'm free to oh. Don't use your freedom to do what? To do evil. So you see, we can misuse our freedom if we want to. We can abuse our freedom if we want to. In our nation, can freedom be abused? Can it be misused? Absolutely. You know, the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. Well, do people steal in our nation? That's abuse of their freedom, isn't it? They're misusing their freedom, aren't they? They're violating other people, aren't they? Okay, so in conclusion, freedom is not free. Many Americans gave their lives... They fought, they died to secure the freedoms, to obtain them and maintain the freedoms that we have. As a matter of fact, I don't want to let an opportunity ever go by. If you've served in our armed forces, I want you to stand right now. Right now, just stand. If you served in our armed forces, would you kindly stand right now? You were willing to lay down your life. And we honor you. We thank God for you. Hallelujah. And we're glad that you're here with us to even continue to tell us about it. Amen. Thank God for every one of you. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you for your service. But I also want you to know that spiritual freedom, as wonderful as these national freedoms are, there is even a greater freedom. And this greater freedom, someone had to fight for it and someone had to die for it. But for all the wars that we've encountered in our nation... All the wars that helped us obtain and maintain our freedom. All those wars took the lives of many, many, many brave Americans. But they could never, with their shed blood, buy the eternal freedom that you and I needed. It was only temporal. The eternal freedom that we have has come by one person and one person alone. And that one person fought. And that one person suffered. And that one person died. And that one person rose again from the dead. And he's at the right hand of the majesty on high right now. Let's stand together and 
and give him an offering of praise. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Hallelujah. And if every freedom in this country was taken away from us today, we would still be free. Look at John. We'll close with these verses. Look at John 8, 31 through 36. The words of our Savior. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. If you continue in my word, you're my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. They answered him. We be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou you shall be made free? Isn't that sad? We've never been in bondage. Look how they're thinking to any man. You were in slavery in Egypt. You were in Babylonian captivity. You forget about those 430 years, those 70 years, those 500 years of slavery. And to be honest with you, the Jewish community right now has been in defilement. I don't say that. They say that for 2,000 years because they rejected Jesus. And that's truth. And they said, we've never been in bondage to any man. Jesus answered them and said this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whoso commits sin is a servant of sin. Or a slave to sin. And the servant abides not in the house forever, but the son abides forever. If the son, therefore, shall make you free. If the son, therefore, shall make you free. Then you shall be free indeed. Hallelujah. It's eternal. Eternal freedom comes by one way. And that is Jesus Christ. So what is freedom? It's the capacity to exercise choice. And what is the choice that we have? Sin or righteousness. We can choose to live God's ways or our ways. But there's a way that seems right to a man. And the end thereof is the way of death. You see, we're eternal spirit beings, not temporal. Life goes beyond this realm. This is but a vapor. It appears for a moment. It vanishes away. Here we are. We have to choose. I choose Jesus.